Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, 2024 will be the Voldemort of years, the year that must not be named, so says Ian Bremer, a globally respected political scientist and president of the Political Risk Advisory Group. Uh, a globally respected political scientist and president of the political risk advisory firm Eurasia Group. Each year, he lists the top 10 global risks the world is facing. And, well, this year... He's spoiled for choice. Turmoil in the Middle East, rogue leaders around the world, and a turbulent election in the US. It may take magic to manage the mischief we're in store for in 2024. Ian Bremer joins us now. Hi. Hey, good to be with you again. Nice to talk to you. And, I mean, you've been doing this list for more than 15 years. This is, I think, the first time that you're saying this, that this is the most dangerous uncertain year you've seen in your lifetime and you're not one who's prone to hyperbole um is it sort of the year that problems that have been simmering for years are going to come to the boil yeah i mean it's certainly what i've called about 10 12 years ago the g0 world not a g7 not a g20 Mm. but a world where you have an absence of global leadership where the united states increasingly doesn't want to be the world's policeman or the architect of global trade or the promoter of democracy, but nobody else is uh, able or willing to step into America's shoes. And yeah, I mean, that, that over time creates a vacuum and conflicts build up. The international architecture is increasingly unaligned with the underlying balance of power. And we, we, we will eventually face a price to pay and that, that in 2024 it does look like a lot of those a lot of those conflicts are really starting to play out um around the world and of course the US election is the one that everyone has been fearing for a while now hoping it wouldn't be so bad hoping it wouldn't be Biden versus Trump hoping against hope but that happens against the context of a couple other major wars that are not going well uh, for the U.S. and its allies right now. So in that regard, yeah, they kind of all you're spoiled for choice in 2024 if you're talking about risk. Yeah, and you uh, neatly put the top pick of risk as the United States versus itself. Well, the, the United States is the only advanced industrial democracy that is incapable of holding a free and fair election that is seen as legitimate by its population. And I mean, I, I don't mean to be glib about it, but that that is kind of foundational to having a functional democracy. So, I mean, the U.S. democracy today is in crisis. Uh, Trump is going to be the nominee. It is, it is pretty certain at this point. Um, and he's going to be the nominee despite the fact that he did everything in his power to subvert a free and fair election back in 2020, 2021. Now, in a well-run democracy, that reality would be the single top issue by far that anyone is discussing, and yet it's not. 
in the United States right now. It's not at all. Instead, people are talking about Biden's age and the border and the economy and a whole bunch of other things, all of which would normally be important in any given election, but not when the state of your democracy is actually on the ballot. And that that does tell you that there is a real crisis in U.S. democracy right now. Yeah. And is is Trump the sole cause or the sole problem here or is Trump a symptom of the democracy's vulnerability? And is there a willingness, by the way, in America to acknowledge these vulnerabilities? Uh, I think that Trump is clearly a symptom, a very large symptom, but not the cause. Um, I mean, when when you have a bunch of people, a majority of Americans that no longer trust their executive or Congress or the judiciary uh, or for that matter, the CDC, um, you know, sort of the healthcare scientists, I mean, you know, sort of the, the media, I mean, a whole bunch of things that really describe what basic what 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 you think of as the facts yeah. that are involving your democracy. I mean, when people no longer agree on those, it's really hard um, to have a functional democracy. And that that's the underpinning here that allows you to elect someone who is so clearly unfit for office as Trump is. Trump is not the cause of this at all, though he's certainly a very happy warrior for those grievance politics uh, in the U.S. And And the second question you ask is kind of the critical one, because this is being normalized in the United States. Mm. Uh, You've got um, a president that um, a former president who has 91 indictments against him. That's never happened before. And now it's you're just kind of getting used to it. It doesn't drive the headlines the way it did. He's going to be convicted in all likelihood, at least in Washington, before the election. It's not going to make him any less popular. It's not going to change the nomination process. He was impeached twice. He was acquitted both times. Impeachment no longer functions um, as a check on the executive. Mm. In fact, uh, Mayorkas, the head of the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is about to be impeached. Yet there's no evidence that he committed any crimes that have been put forward in that impeachment. Doesn't matter. That's the way impeachment works in the United States right now. I can go on and on and on. But the fact is that there are all sorts of things in the U.S. that are happening that are unprecedented in U.S. political history that are now becoming normalized precisely because they're happening all the time. You have sources in the intelligence community in the U.S. What do they tell you about what's worrying them heading into the 2024 election? Well, they're deeply concerned about America's ability to um, hold a free and fair election, given the level of chaos and the fact that it's a soft target. I mean, it's a lot easier to defend critical infrastructure in the U.S. than it is the election process, which you would think would be considered critical infrastructure, and yet it isn't. I mean, in fact, when the U.S. went to the Russians and said, you do not dare attack this critical infrastructure, they didn't talk about the basis of civil society. They talked about things like nuclear plants and power plants and agriculture, all of the port facilities. But they didn't talk about the election process. I I would argue that the election process is the most critical infrastructure that a democracy actually has. And the level of disinformation, we already saw the first AI driven deep fakes uh, just a a week and a half ago uh, before the New Hampshire primaries. There were a lot of voters, erstwhile voters, um, that got uh, deep fake AI generated calls from mm. President Biden saying, we don't want you to vote 
uh, in New Hampshire. We want you to vote in the general. Um, now, I don't think it had much impact, but it is absolutely um, a, a sign of ominous things to come when we think about 2024. Uh, number two uh, on your list is Middle East on the brink. And although some people may feel like the Middle East has been on the brink for the last 80 years, in fact, this time last year, it probably wasn't on your radar as one of the one of the biggest problems or looming problems in the world. No, and in fact, uh, only eight days before October 7th, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, had written a piece in Foreign Affairs when he said that the Middle East was more stable than we've seen in decades. Mm-hmm. He clearly jinxed it um, because, of course, many things were more stable, uh, like the Gulf Cooperation Council fixing their problems with Qatar and the Abraham Accords normalizing relations between Gulf states and others and the Israelis, and then the Chinese facilitating the breakthrough between China and Saudi Arabia. That's all true. Uh, but no one fixed the Palestinian situation. Not at all. Got much worse. And that led to um, a, an unprecedented attack uh, against Israel, against an Israeli democracy that itself was in crisis, that had its eye off the ball, certainly off the security ball. Um, and, and the nature of this risk, which we wrote about again at the beginning of January, was that there would be no way to contain this war to Gaza, that it was going to expand. And unfortunately, I mean, we're now in February, just barely. But my God, the first month of 2024 has shown this in spades, uh, where we have a massive expansion of attacks against the U.S. Um, and its proxy, you know, from Iranian proxies in the region and against civilian shipping. And the nightmare scenario for the Biden administration just last weekend actually came to pass with three American servicemen and women uh, killed uh, and dozens injured. And now the Americans are going to strike back, including against Iranian military assets. And that's a that is a very significant escalation in this war. It's not driving oil prices much higher. And that's in part because the Americans are producing so much and the Saudis have oil off the market and the Chinese rebound isn't what people want. Uh, But in terms of the likelihood that the U.S. gets directly involved in this war, it certainly matters. And this is also hurting Biden in terms of his reelection potential, uh, because this this war is deeply unpopular in the United States. To another war front and Ukraine, um, that invasion has not gone particularly well for the Russians, but they currently occupy about 18% of Ukrainian land and they have patience, you point out. And they may just wait it out and wait for, uh, well, not just Ukraine, but their supporters um, and supporting democracies to get tired and you see that petition, uh, the idea of a p- partition in Ukraine being quite a risk. Uh, I mean, less a risk than a reality mm. um, that Ukraine is going to be partitioned. Uh, it won't be acceptable for the Ukrainians. Uh, it won't be acceptable for Ukraine's friends and allies, but they don't have the ability to retake their territory. And I'm not happy about this. I want to be clear. This is not something that I am like hoping for. Um, but that's not the purpose of the report. Um, and uh, the fact is that the Ukrainians are getting more desperate. We saw just a couple of days ago, uh, President Zelensky uh, fired um, the head of his armed forces, uh, Viktor Zeluzhny, who's actually much po- much more popular in Ukraine than Zelensky is. But this is a sign 
of desperation, the mayor of Kiev coming out against Zelensky, saying he's acting more like an authoritarian as a sign of desperation. The Ukrainian uh, military unable to retake land, so instead engaging in strikes deep into Russian territory against critical infrastructure in Russia is a sign of desperation. And it does look increasingly unlikely that the Americans are going to be able to provide the military support that Ukraine needs even to effectively defend the territory they still have. Is that that's become a big partisan fight, which for the first 18 months of this war was not at all. Remember, you know, only six months ago, Biden was telling Zelensky on the on the global stage, we will support you whatever it takes, as long as it takes. And then several months later, that morphed into we're going to do as much as we can for as long as we can. That's a that's a real problem for the Americans. It's a much bigger problem, of course, for the Ukrainians and for their frontline allies that that fear that this is all going to go very badly south and they're going to have to defend themselves against the Russians with Ukraine falling. I'm thinking about the Polish government, the Baltic states, mm. um, the Nordics. I mean, countries very, very far from New Zealand, um, but uh, but maybe interested in traveling there too. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did you come through New Zealand on your way to Antarctica? Uh, no, Cape Town, but I have been to New Zealand before, of course, and I uh, am a huge fan. It's I mean, it's impossible not to be, especially... I hope I'm not going to make any enemies here, but uh, especially when you see the glories of the South Island, I, that, that's some of the most magnificent geography I've ever seen. Hmm. Well, we're very far away from the action, but actually a lot of these uh, different spots you mentioned are far away from each other. Ukraine is, is far from the Middle East, Middle East is far from Washington, D.C., and yet the three are connected does that connection actually magnify the power, magnify, might magnify the danger? Uh, it does magnify the danger. I mean, the fact is that uh, if these wars go badly, it's more likely that Trump becomes president. Trump president the first time around in a period of relative peace, um, there's only so much wreckage you're going to see. I mean, if you give an untrusted pilot um, the controls when it's 40,000 feet in the air and sunny skies, probably okay for 10 or 15 minutes. You do that when you're trying to land the same plane in a typhoon and you can't see the runway, you're probably going to crash mm -hmm. the plane. So mm -hmm. the interconnections really do matter here. They are dangerous and they are globally dangerous. Though, I mean, since we're talking about things that are, are far away from each other, you know, there's one that really matters a lot for New Zealand, and that's one that's going comparatively well, which is the U.S.-China relationship yeah. today is not a risk this year. It's actually better managed than it has been in a long time because the U.S. doesn't want uh, another big fight. And the Chinese, you know, they're having a hard time with their economy. They're having a hard time geopolitically in their backyard with the Philippines and Indonesia and the Quad and the Japan-South Korea rapprochement, all of those things. And so the Chinese are really engaging in a structural charm offensive um, and they're trying to get other countries around the world to to believe again that that China wants to really do business with them. And that that is that's going to be very welcome uh, if you're New Zealand, if you're Australia, if you're a lot closer to that economy. We've heard a bit about the risks. Uh, and by the way, if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Ian Bremer, who is political scientist and president of the political risk advisory firm Eurasia Group. He's listed the top 10 global risks the world is facing. Um, artificial intelligence, could you give us the arguments on both sides for whether 
AI will be a harm or a benefit to humanity in 2024? I mean, on balance, I am an optimist on AI. Um, I, I think that this technology is going to unlock human potential and capital. Um, it's going to reduce waste. It's going to improve productivity and efficiency. It's going to allow us to engage in real-time measurement of things um, that we have not been able to and therefore make better decisions in every sector of the economy. And that's incredible. I've never seen a technology like that that has been so welcomed so quickly by captains of every industry because they think it's going to affect them in positive ways. And and the, the, the technology is moving a lot faster even than semiconductor, uh, semiconductors have with Moore's Law. In fact, three times faster, the explosive improvements in these models, these AI large language models. So that, that, that makes me feel like this is going to drive a new wave of globalization. Uh, but, but I'm not um, worried that, that anyone's going to stop that. I don't think you need me talking about it much because the people that are driving those companies have a lot of money, a lot of potential, and they're very competitive because they know if they if they fail, there's, there's there's ten others that are breathing down their neck that would love to be in their position. There aren't as many people talking about the risks, and and the risks are that there will be negative externalities that come from a technology that explodes mm. into everyone's home this quickly. Um, that that, for example, uh, and, and that and the tech is moving much fat, much more quickly than the regulations mm. or the governance can move. So you are going to see a lot more AI driven disinformation affecting elections, affecting markets um, and starting you know, in earnest, I think, in 2024, especially because the next generation of AI coming out this year makes GPT-4 looks like a child's toy. I think you'll see a lot more AI that is used to create malware and to create new weapons, new viruses. Um, and, and, and that those are, unfortunately, when you don't have the governance around that, that means you have to respond post-crisis. You have to respond after things are breaking. This is probably the first time, the first year that we see that happening at scale. Um. For the mortgage holders listening, um, interest rates, central bank interest rates tend to depend on whether or not they feel inflation is under control. That's um, something that the um, the Fed in the US is wrestling with and the Reserve Bank here in New Zealand. You say, just in case we weren't worried about it enough already, that there is no room for error in the world's reserve and central bankers. That's a lot of faith to put in a group who haven't always got it right and haven't always seemed to have the backs of ordinary people. Well, that the, that risk is number eight on the list. And remember, the ordering principle here is likelihood, imminence, and impact all together. Um, and so given how important inflation is, that's a comparatively low risk. And the nature of this risk is not that we're heading into a global recession. It is just as we wrote it, no room for error. In other words, if you look at what the markets which are, you know, especially the U.S. market is at a record level right now. Uh, it's pricing in a lot of reduction of Fed rates to bring inflation down very quickly. Um, and while that happened in 2023, in 2024, everything has to go right to get all of those Fed rates down. Um, and when you think about the El Nino 
and clim climate change risk and how much cost that's going to create on economies that have a hard time bearing it. If you think about the geopolitical risks we've already spoken about in the Middle East, in Ukraine, that are not poised to go well, and the potential of other things to go bump in the night, like some negative surprise from the North Koreans before the South Korean parliamentary elections that now look likely. You know, you don't need many of those to suddenly force the Fed and other central bankers to say, we really can't move as aggressively to bring rates down. Um, and, and that's going to disappoint the markets. So that, that's the point here. It's that inflation is unlikely to come down as quickly in 2024 as the punters at the beginning of the year were hoping. That, that's the nature of the risk. If only the countries around the world got on as well as they seem to when they hit the ice in Antarctica, Ian, <laughs> might, uh, yeah. might be a, a nice little model for uh, future living. Uh, you know, I, I was so it was in part because I knew what we were going to be writing in January that I took that trip. It was nice to have a week, a week and a half of no Internet and uh, no no infrastructure and and just our planet and our planet, as has been. I don't even want to say governed. I want to say stewarded um, by the world in what was the first arms agreement ever forged uh, between the U.S. and the Soviets, the Antarctica Treaty which still applies today, it means no resource exploitation, no use for military purposes, just countries working together to preserve this big piece of our planet as best they can and use it for the advancement of science and for humanity and for the rest of the species that live with us on this little ball. Uh, that seemed to be a nice way to start the year, frankly. Ian Bremer, great to chat to you. Uh, thanks so much for your time and the thought and energy you've put into this. My pleasure. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.